this podcast. Hi guys and welcome back to the cast with Nair. I'm super excited to have you all back on the show. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing a very sensitive topic, one which is very important and the topic is depression. A lot of people nowadays are slowly getting into depression, which lead, which is leading them to committing suicide and having other mental health disorder problems. So we're going to be discussing depression and all of it today, how we can possibly avoid it, how to manage it, who to meet, the signs, the symptoms, everything that is to depression, you know, and all of that. My guest today is Amanda Ihimi. She's an architecture photographer and psychotherapist living and working in Lagos, Nigeria. She studied at the University of Cape Coast for a bachelor's degree in psychology and received a master's degree in clinical psychology from Swansea University. She is the founder and lead psychotherapist providing mental health services at NDD. Thank you so much, Amanda, for gracing my podcast, Cast with Nair. For quality assurance purposes and audio fidelity, you might be hearing some lags because this was recorded via Zoom. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'll mm. just delve into what we have. So I, I said initially that I'd really introduce what the topic is all about, depression, mm-hmm. and we're going to be discussing all of it today. So I said, as a mental health professional, how would you mm-hmm. define depression? Okay, so um, depression is a mental health disorder, specifically a mood disorder that affects the way you feel about yourself and the way you feel about the world around you. It comes with a group of symptoms that I experienced over a period of more than two weeks. Now, before I get into what depression really means, like you were saying earlier, there's a tendency these days for people to um, talk about being depressed or say that they're experiencing depression and maybe even at times use it as an explanation for why they're not able to do certain things. Um, Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So as an explanation for why they're not able to do certain things, and I think that it's very important to um, differentiate between sadness, um, melancholy, and then depression. It's yeah. very normal for us to be sad as individuals. It's very, it's very human. We can't be happy every day. And just the same way that you wake up sometimes in the morning and you have days where you feel very uplifted, you feel very happy, you feel very positive, and you can't really pinpoint exactly what are the things that are making you feel happy. You just know you're in a, in a really good mood. It's the same way that you can also wake up and feel like sad and feel a sense of despondency or despair um, about how things, some things are not working out the way you want them to, even just generally the stress of being alive and just knowing that with it comes sadness and with it comes misery. So it's very normal for us to be sad. And it's also normal for us to go through periods of melancholy, which is also sadness itself, whereas we're experiencing sadness for more than a day or more than two days, three days, four days. Sometimes for some of us, it may last for like six days or even a week. And you feel a sense of sadness. And so this can also be attributed to some things around you not happening the way you want them to. Or maybe you've heard bad news and it's weighing you down and you feel really sad about it. Or, you know, you had a misunderstanding with a friend and that's weighing on your mind and you feel sad about it. Or you watch the news and something negative is happening and you feel sad about that. So you can then have um, 
those moments of melancholy that can last for like more than two, three days because something bad has happened. But then when a person then comes into clinical depression, you have to fit into a certain criteria. And the two major things that we know or we used to identify, two major characteristics of depression that we used to identify or even begin a conversation of saying, okay, might this person be clinically depressed? Are persistent low mood, that is your sadness is persistent. And it's not just persistent for a day. It's not just persistent for an hour. It's not just persistent for two hours or even for one week. It's persistent for more than two weeks. So every day for the past two weeks, you must have been experiencing sadness. Now, alongside that, you also have to have a loss of interest in the things that you do in your daily life that would then cause a significant impairment in the quality of your life. So what that means is that you're, if you're the kind of person who loves to go out and have a good time with your friends, you find that you no longer feel inclined to do that. If you're a person who um, enjoys going to the movies, there's a particular show you like to watch, just you know, visiting people, even if you were staying indoors, you'd still have people come over. You All of a sudden, those things no longer interest you. And then you feel this very interesting desire to want to isolate yourself and stay away from everybody and keep in mind that this has to have been ongoing for more than two weeks and also having a significant impairment in the quality of your life people are not able to see you you're not able to complete tasks you're not able to fulfill your responsibilities you're also not able to see positivity in life so these two these two um, major symptoms are two of the significant um criteria that we need to see that a person has experienced before we can then say, okay, this person is depressed. But alongside these two, Mm -hmm. there's other symptoms that have to come with it as well. So what we then tend to see are people having changes in their sleeping habits. So they're either sleeping too much or they're sleeping very little. We also see changes in their appetite where they're either eating too much or they're eating too little. We see changes in their energy levels and more often than not, people who are depressed have very low energy levels. They don't feel motivated mm. to do anything. They're tired all the time and no matter how much sleep or how much rest they get, they still wake up tired. Um, there's also an effect on your ability to concentrate. So if you could be sitting in front of your laptop or a book and trying to read something, but your ability to hold your attention and focus is impaired because you're, you're struggling with concentrating. And then you can also have in your daily behavior, mm. when you talk to yourself, you can then notice it's starting to um, become a bit more negative. So you speak negatively of yourself, you blame yourself for things that have happened in your life and even things that have happened in other people's life, saying things like, you know, the life of the world would be a much better place without you in it. People would be happier if you were not here. You feel like you're just a burden to the people that love you. You're only causing people stress and misery and you need to just leave them so that they can have peace of mind, that nothing would happen to you, nothing would ever go um, your way. So there is a negative sense mm. of self that a person has when they yes. are depressed. So there's a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. So you lose hope for the future and you feel helpless to being able to change the situation that you're in. So you feel stuck um, because whichever direction you get to, you find that you're hitting a wall and you can't seem to get yourself out of the darkness that you're feeling on the inside. So we also notice that people who are um, depressed also are sometimes very easily irritable. So things that would not um, 
um, upset them or irritate them that they could have easily looked over before they become more irritable. Um, we tend to notice that they isolate themselves, like I said before, and they cry a lot. And sometimes we may ask them, like, why are you crying? And they wouldn't be able to tell you. But then one, uh, an event I went for, there was a lady who described it as, if you're already sad and miserable on the inside, you don't need anything on the outside to prompt you mm. to begin to cry. So you're crying and you're really sad. Your concentration is reduced. You're not having as much energy to do the things that you'd normally do. And then, mm. then we see people in much more severe cases then begin to lean towards so thoughts of suicide, which is the world is a better place without me. I should most likely end my life. And some people go as far as planning it, and then some people go as far as taking their own lives. Um, but yes, yeah, so the, the severity of people's depres de depression um, differs. Some people have a mild form of depression where the symptoms are present. They do fit the clinical diagnosis for depression. But what we then tend to see rather is that um, it's not the impairment it has on their life is not so significant that they're not able to like leave their house or function at work, but it is enough to cause them distress. And as it goes from mild to moderate to moderately severe to severe, the impairment on a person's life and the intensity of the symptoms and the frequency at which it happens then tends to increase. So you can have depression, just clinical depression on its own. You can also have depression alongside um, um, mania, which is when we then say a person has bipolar disorder. But the main focus of today's conversation is depression. It's a very long explanation, but I wanted to cover as much of it as I possibly could. So yeah, that's what depression is. Wow. The definition in Luna of depression has covered basically all the questions I wanted to ask today. So, <laughs> so the definition has encompassed everything that I had wanted to discuss except but a few. But I'm really grateful for the for the explanation and the briefing of depression. Mm -hmm. The fact that you were able to differentiate between, I mean, depression, sadness, and melancholy. So many persons mm -hmm. today might not understand or might not know this um, difference they might feel everything is just depression mm -hmm. so i'm really glad that we're able to, to differentiate that and then the impact you know the early symptoms you know when and when we should refer to something as depression and when we should refer to it as sadness or normal mel um, melancholy so when it's, it's up to two weeks it's depression mm -hmm. and then sadness like your your normal day as a person when you just wake up and be happy you can always also wake up and be sad as well the same mm -hmm. thing for, but for the uh, melancholy, that one just has a, a span of like two days or three days. So I'm really grateful for that difference. Yeah. You also spoke about the impact, you know, it can affect your... A lot more that you have spoken about this evening, I'm really, really grateful. So we have spoken about the symptoms, the impact, and everything about it, but mm -hmm. what form of what's the first, first form of treatment? And you also mentioned that there are like different types of depression. I heard the bipolar disorder and the clinical mm -hmm. depression, which I think I think the clinical and the bipolar are a major. And uh, let's say the the clinical is much more um, predominant today than the bipolar. Well, I so don't. I know have I've heard a, of few persons with bipolar. Well, I don't have the uh, research figures to be able to say there are more people with bipolar disorder than there are with 
um, major depressive disorder. Mm. Um, I can't accurately state that. So I'll just leave that answer as I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But we just tend to hear more of people talk about okay. um, clinical depression. And also because depression. sometimes in some other mental illnesses, um, depression is also a symptom of the illness and it's not the illness itself. So there are people who are suffering from depression simply because they are clinically depressed. And then there are people who are experiencing depression as a result of another mental illness. Mm -hmm. So like let's say a person has a um, psychotic breakdown and right after that they have a depressive episode or like so you have like post psychosis depression then we have people who are bipolar where they're in a cycle where they've gone through a phase of mania and now they are depressed mm -hmm. or you can have a person wow. who has a personality disorder and the symptoms living with that personality disorder has made some things not work out well for them and so they're depressed so they come in to treat depression but then we find yeah. out that there are other um, illnesses so which is why we do yes. that you don't diagnose yourself um, or just go off of of information online they can be able to give you insight into what you may be struggling with but it's always best to speak to a professional because we have the training and we understand some of these nuances that you may not be paying attention to or even know that you're supposed to pay attention to um, for a diagnosis because then you can come in and then say oh i'm depressed and depressed and your clinician is going to focus on that as a way of respecting you as a client because you also have a say in how your mental health care progresses. Yes. So you're, they might, out of this, you insist on it and say, oh, yes, it's depression that's, that's causing this illness. And then the focus is on that particular illness. And we don't then recognize that there are other symptoms that you may not have mentioned or that we might have overlooked because of the what you presented to us in your initial care. So... Um, it's just important that you're like, okay, even with the awareness that you have, that it's important mm -hmm. to seek um, consultation to help with the proper diagnosis, to go through like all kinds of diagnostic assessments to be sure that is it just depression we're seeing or are we seeing depression and something mm -hmm. else? Yeah. Okay. So how is depression diagnosed and how is it treated? Mm. So to diagnose depression, if a person comes into... Um, for my practice, for example, the moment you're registering, what we're doing, you're going to also fill out like a patient health questionnaire. And that questionnaire screens for the symptoms of depression, screens for the symptoms of anxiety disorder, specifically panic, and then also to help identify life stressors. So by the time you fill that out, I would look at the assessment and you know, based on my knowledge of the assessment, I can be able to say, okay, the this client has communicated to me with what they've answered that there's you know something going on they need uh, they are showing symptoms of depression so we'd see the presence of at least five of all the symptoms i mentioned before with the significant with the presence of persistent sadness over two weeks and then also um, the lack of interest in doing things that they'd normally do so we'd see that and then we see that alongside other illnesses and also see the severity of it so once we see that in your results, um, when you then have your consultation session or your therapy session, you'll be asked some questions um, about your daily life, how you're able to cope with things, how, how are you feeling about yourself. And through those questions, we're also trying to see, okay, the things you fill out in the questionnaire, um, what does it look like? How does it manifest in your day-to-day -day life so that whatever we're seeing in a screening tool, we're also corroborating it with physical um, behavioral experiences that you've communicated to us so if by the time after having the diagnostic interview and then also having 
the screening tool being utilized, um, we can then be able to sit down and then come to a conclusion like, okay, the symptoms here are showing that this person has been experiencing this for the past couple of weeks. It has been persistent. It has impaired them in so, so, so and so ways. Um, and thus they do fit the criteria for the diagnosis of depression. So it requires a question, a conversation, a diagnostic interview with a therapist or a psychiatrist, and also the use of quantitative assessment tools to be able to screen for the severity levels and also for the presence of, of symptoms. And all this information together helps us to track the progress that you have whilst you're under treatment. So if you're, um, if you need medication, for example, Okay, so I said that you need to speak to a psychologist or a psychiatrist to have a diagnostic interview with them. And after you have the diagnostic interview, we would assess the um, information we got from the interview with the information we got from the screening tool. And with our knowledge, then come to the conclusion that this client fits the criteria for the diagnosis of clinical depression. And we also have um, situations where we have to look at the possibility of are there any other mental illnesses and are there other things that are going on in their life? Like, are they on any medication um, that might impact their, that mm. one of the side effects might be their depression? Um, are they consuming, do they have like substance abuse as well? Because you could be drinking a lot and that can also put you in a state of depression. So we need to know, are there any other comorbid or alternative diagnosis that we can have that this client fits into? So. The screening tool and a diagnostic interview gives us like a full picture of who you are as a person for us to be able to say, okay, this is, you do fit the criteria for the diagnosis of clinical depression. So that's how it's diagnosed. Now, how is it treated? Um, the thing about depression more often than not, and most mental illnesses, those like the ones that are not, you know, uh, genetic and hereditary, like schizophrenia, even those ones as well, a lot of them are triggered by significant life issues or, uh, that have happened. So it's not just out of the blue, like, oh my goodness, one day you woke up and you were depressed, kind of like the way physical okay. illness can work, where you really, coming... yes, yes, mental that illness sometimes can be hereditary depression, yes, yes, sometimes, um, yeah. mental illnesses are hereditary. Uh, we know that bipolar is hereditary, we know that um, uh, depression is hereditary, we also know that there is uh, heritable traits for schizophrenia as well. So when we say it's hereditary, it's, there is a percentage rate for it, it's not like um, a communicable disease that you immediately get. So for anxiety, we know that there's a 60% chance of it being hereditary. And for depression, we're looking at 40 to 50% chance of it being hereditary, so it's genetic. Um, and then for okay. the other ones, I don't know the, the figures, but yes, and if it's more severe in families, if, if like a, a parent has very severe levels of depression, it also increases the chances of it being hereditary as well. So yes, you can, you can inherit mental illnesses. Um, so when, when we have to, but in the end, when we have to treat it, the severity levels of your, of the clinical depression that you have, the clinical depression also helps to take the treatment as well. So if I have a person who's coming in and they have like a severity level of mild depression, we're going to look at both the okay. environmental factors and also the physical factors as well. Um, things that contribute to your mental well-being. So how are you eating? Are you, is your diet okay? Are you getting in the nutrients that you need because you'd be so surprised how sometimes just changing your diet 
from being just like starch alone to things that have vitamins that your body needs like you're having apples and oranges and purple and drinking a lot more water and having more vegetables in your diet and reducing the amount of rice that you eat that this very very change can actually cause you to can alleviate some of the symptoms or even reduce the intensity of the feeling of depression then there's exercise. How often do you exercise? And this is not exercise because you want to lose weight because that's what we've associated exercise with. If a person is working out, they're doing it because they want to be slimmer. But the truth is that you need that exercise for physical strength and you also need it for mental strength as well. With exercise, yeah. you're able to burn off your um, stress hormone called cortisol and you're able to release it during exercise, which is why, mm-hmm. and then you also get a, a rush of dopamine after you've completed exercise and dopamine makes you feel good. It's a pleasure hormone. So if you exercise, you feel better. So you, it helps to alleviate some of those symptoms as well. And the third thing we're looking at is how are you sleeping? Are you getting enough sleep? Or are you just doing four mm-hmm. to five hours of sleep? Because if you're not sleeping well, you're not going to feel tired. You're going to feel grumpy. You're not going to be motivated. You're going to be easily irritable. And you're not going to be able to make um, very good emotional decisions sometimes because of how irritable you might be feeling or how tired or how grumpy you are. And that can then go on to affect your relationships. So um, it's important that the first few things, your physical health status is being checked. Do you have high blood pressure? Um, have you gone for a full physical health care um, checkup? So whilst we're looking at that, we're also looking now at your environmental factors. Okay, um, what's going on in your job life? Are you happy with your job? Are you happy with your friendships? Are you happy with your romantic relationships? Do you like the career that you're in? Are you unhappy with, with school? Is there something going on in your personal life that you realize that you're finding it difficult to cope with? Have you lost something? Maybe you've lost a relationship or someone you know or something you love has died or gone missing. So there are different situational or social factors that might be going on in your life. Did you experience trauma as a child when you were growing up? So, and by trauma, I mean something abusive um, or even just like yeah. a traumatic event itself, maybe like an accident or... Um, you saw someone get beat up or you saw a dead body on the road, like things that could be very shocking and difficult for the Uh child to comprehend. What kind of family background did you have? How did your parents raise you? Did they build your self-esteem? Were you bullied at some point? Were you raised in a household that was psychologically abusive? So we'd look at all of these parts of your life. Look at your life as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult. What are some things that have happened? to help create, understand your own patterns of behavior as a person and how they connect to the symptoms that you're experiencing. So some people have really bad self-esteem and are not able to maintain healthy relationships and set boundaries in their lives. And because of that, they tend to have negative experiences in their relationships because they're just allowing any kind of people. And those people hurt them. And then they start to feel unwanted. And that then contributes to making them feel sad and then getting into a depressive state. So the moment we're able to help you do the work of building your self-esteem, you then start to have better quality of people around you. That is one challenge alleviated. And the thing about mental health care is that you, you don't really have to touch every single part because in the healing of one thing, you end up touching so many things. So we can focus on healing your self-esteem and use your friendships as a starting point. But then you find out that the lessons you've learned in that place, you're taking it to your workplace, you're taking it to your family, you're taking it to church, you're taking it anywhere, any other part of your life that's important to you. So the healing of depression comes alongside physical health and environmental health, social well-being, spiritual well-being, and even personal well-being as well. Um, 
when you then start to go down the path of having severe depression where it's significantly impacted your ability to live that you're suicidal then there's a lot more urgency that's um, provided for such a client where we need to get them into a psychiatric hospital and get them stabilized especially because like, they're a danger to themselves and to others possibly so we need to make sure that they are stable and they're calm and they cannot begin to get inpatient treatment before they are taken out of um, the psychiatric hospital to now continue to receive outpatient care. Um, for some people, it doesn't have to get to a point where we provide them with um, inpatient care. We can just have them start medication at home um, where we monitor their medication regularly with the psychiatrist. So we work with a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist alongside. So we're looking at the dosage and the goal is to help you live a healthy life without having to be dependent on medication as a way of surviving but for some people like i said it may be something they'll have to take for the rest of their lives and for some it's something mm. they can clean themselves off of so different people have different ways of responding or reacting to or experiencing treatment mm. yes to treatment as well so the treatment can range from drug therapy and psychotherapy up until the points where it's so severe that we're doing electroconvulsive therapy but that's in fact really? more severe cases. Yes. Mm. Wow. That's that's a lot to take in in, in how many minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> this is like a full lecture on I depression. Know. I know. But I really, I really, really appreciate this. Thank you so much, Amanda. So now you have spoken a lot about the treatments and you know different treatment depending on on how severe your own, your own cases. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that means this is good to say that the first form of treatment is like having a, a therapy session yeah. where you get to know your your sleeping habits, eating habits. You know, mm-hmm. you get to know your um, more about your environment, your friends, your social life, and everything around you that can help facilitate your your healing. So the first form is usually therapy. Mm-hmm. Now speaking of therapy. Some people, most times, let's say the young adults and the youth in this generation, most times, when we hear of um, suicide, when it's stressed, it's usually maybe depression, sadness, and all of that. A lot of people commit suicide today, mm-hmm. and they target to the depression. I had no one to speak to. I had no one to communicate to. And you're like, okay, since therapy is there, how, how do these people access um, therapy, how they speak to you, because sometimes it's not even as it's not like they don't want to speak to people, but when they speak to people, do they actually help? And they just you know keep wallowing in that distress and sadness without any change occurring. So therapy is is a very good um, method of treating it. But how do people access this therapy? Access like professionals like you, you know. I mean, I know Indeed is there, which is your your platform, which is also there to help people, but people that, let's say, students like me and other people living in the rural areas that cannot access this, and on a daily basis, the rate of suicide is, is increasing, because this book cannot get access to at least basic form of treatment. What's mm. your say about that? Um, it's it's both an, it's an economical problem and also a medical one as well, but government one, I don't even know how to explain it, but frame that part. Yeah. Um, first of all, the number of qualified, trained, licensed clinical psychologists that we have in the country is not enough. 
we don't have mm -hmm. enough for the number of people that we have so that already there's already a scarcity even at the practice we are constantly trying to like manage the flow of clients that we have so that we're getting um so that we're able to like you know provide quality care because we have to refer cases out and a lot of people have specialized cases where they need specialized care so you need like a family therapist or you need a couples therapist or you need someone who works with children or someone who's familiar with a particular neurodevelopmental disorder so we need specializations we need general uh, mental health practitioner as well so there is a there's a shortage in terms of people to um take up these roles but thankfully buhari signed the mental health bill and that has already begun to take um changes have begun to take place um it's not to say that it's going to significantly increase the number of people who come for therapy but it's mm. a good start then there is a yeah. second part about the fact that um mental health is not something that as much as there are people talking about it a lot it's more like they know it but the doing and the feeling of it and the adapting or adopting of it it, it's not something that mm. they're doing so it's like we're knowing and we're talking but we're not moving so because of that there's still a lot of people that are ignorant about mental wellness the people who don't understand it and people who have never ever heard anyone talk about it so there is that and then there are people who do not want to have anything to do with it so there is the lack of awareness and then there's also the um lack of awareness and then lack of access to information about mental health care and then willingness to change and lack of education as well so i mean if they were teaching children in school that you have as the same way you teach them head shoulders and toes you also teach them about the brain and the mind and taking care of their health then a lot more people would know but they don't, there's not enough education going around so that lack of knowledge also contributes to it so then in terms of access as well if you don't have enough people talking about or teaching psychology or enough graduates coming out of psychology and getting jobs as therapists, where are you going to get hospitals at? Who's going to build a, a clinic for people to, there's no, nobody's going to work there. So because of that, there's also places that they don't have um, psychologists and uh, psychotherapists because nobody's studying that. No, there's no building, no access, no clinic. So there's no, there's actually no physical space for them to go. Then there is an economic issue, which is that, okay, so there's now, there are now available spaces, places where you can get mental health care, but can people afford it? That's another thing. They can't afford it. And I know people say that therapy is expensive, therapy, but if we had to break down what it takes to, if we had to break down what it takes to, um, sorry, the network is a bit shaky now. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Loud and clear. Uh, okay, okay. So I can um, hear you. if we had to break down what it takes to run a mental health practice, it's going to be very, it's going mm. to be quite... Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's not It's not as easy as people think, which is just, oh, um, I'm just going to go in here, sit down, and then that's it. Um, to your problems. No, there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes to make that even accessible and available for you. So um, so because of that, therapy is a bit pricey, but we've, we as therapists, we've tried to make it as competitive as possible. But even at that still, there will be people who cannot afford um, 
who cannot afford therapy. So there is an economic part of it where the, for the paid services, people just can't afford it because they're just not making that much money and the inflation is not getting any lower. So that's also another issue. Um, but then at the same time, there are still NGOs that offer um, mental, free mental health care. I know there are many NGOs that do that. Um, there are NGOs that um, offer counseling to people as well. Um, and, they have, and also, if you happen to meet a therapist, you can always discuss with them, like, okay, I can't afford this. So are there any, you know, compromises? Are there any, you know, um, adjustments that can be made for me so that I can be able to, um, what you might call it, I can be able to afford therapy for myself. So, yeah. So that's it. So therapy is pricey, access is difficult, but there are places where you can get free care and there are also places that you can also get discounted care as well. Wow, that's nice, that's nice. Thank, thank you so much. So what, do you mind, do you mind listing the NGOs that are available so that people out there, when this podcast is out, I mean, people that can afford it, they can, always reach out to those people. I know there's NDD, which is your own platform. So you guys, you can also reach out to Amanda. She has a platform, NDD, which is you know, hell-bent on mental health disorder and alleviating it. So do you mind mentioning some of them too? Um, there is Mentally Aware. There is, uh, what should we call it? There is, one second, let me just try and find their names. There's a uh, Assad, which is anti-suicide and depression okay. squad. And then there is also psych babble as well. So I'll just send them to you as DMs so that you can like provide links to people um, when they do listen to the podcast. Okay, thank you so much. I think that would do. So if I ask my um, so I'll wrap it up. I would love to ask my last question. Mm-hmm. So, how can depression be prevented? Um, it takes active. It takes active, uh, active individual personal work um, as a person to be able to prevent depression. For some of us, we're just born in situations and we're born in bodies where when something significant happens, we're less tolerant of it compared to how another person will be. So if you do end up being depressed, like give yourself grace. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or you're a bad person. It's just as the same thing like mosquito bites you. Some people will get malaria and some people won't. Um, but to prevent it, it's conscious daily work. So. Like I said, making sure that you're eating well, you're sleeping well, you're working out, exercise, they will help very well. Having good mental health practice, that's things that help your mental well-being stay balanced, which are, you know, journaling to express your thoughts, going for counseling and therapy regularly, making sure that you're honest with yourself, you have good friendships in your life, like a healthy support system, um, that you're in a job that you love and if you don't love it, you find a way to accept it if you can't leave it or you're making plans to leave it but you're doing something that brings you joy you're creating a life that you're content with not, excuse me, 
not a life that you're comparing to others consistently, but that you're accepting for yourself. Um, it involves being kind to yourself, treating yourself with ease and softness. Not just everyday fight, fight, everyday yeah. drag, drag, but like sometimes just calm down. Um, it involves self-awareness and that's a continuous practice of knowing yourself, which is what are the things that make me upset and what are the things that make mm. me happy? What are the things that make me Thanks. smile? And the things that make me cry so and how do i react to certain situations and the way i react are these ways of reacting good for me are they healthy or do they end up with me losing relationships or losing friendships so it's it's constant daily work constant self-reflection constantly being able to look at yourself and be honest with yourself about who you are and changing up some bad habits and then also um, doing that physical work of sleeping well and eating well and, and you know, exercising and resting as well. And that happens a lot on social media well, and doing well for yourself or herself. And you find yourself comparing yourself to person. Everything just begins to jealousy or downcast. You're sad. Oh God, I'm not, like, what am I bringing for my life? See this person like this person. And that's how it starts. So what's your say on that? Because I know it, it costs a lot. It, it does a lot to people. Social media. Yes, that's true. Sorry, did you ask me a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to know, like, if it has a... Okay, so I was speaking of the impact of the social media on mental health, and I was saying that I know for a fact that it has a huge impact. Sorry, it has an impact, but I don't know how intense the impact is. Because what you were saying earlier about the, the preventive measures was... I mean, that's, that, that's what led to my question on social media because we're speaking of comparison and all of that i know that that happens a lot on social media so mm. what's your say on the impact of social media on the mental health especially depression because that happens a lot there's a lot of comparison going on mm. and okay. how can we avoid because it's something that we can really not avoid because you, you you come online every time and you're seeing these things some yeah. people that are still upcoming they cannot avoid it always online and now that this is the computer age a, a tech age everybody's always online so these things are things that you, you cannot run away from always in a world like this currently mm -hmm. that is social media inclined and we, mm -hmm. we still get to be normal yeah yes um yeah social media definitely does have an impact on our mental health and really it's dependent on how we as individual society use social media because it's there um, and but then you still have control over it so some people prefer to spend a lot of their times and use it for their problems and when you're not feeling good you go to social media you post something people give you comments and that means it gives you like a dopamine rush and then you feel great but then you're going to come back down to it so if you use social media as a way to avoid dealing with your emotional challenges or dealing with your real life mm. practical issues then that's no good for you because then you're not really growing. You're just staying in the same place and avoiding your problems. But social media can also be a tool that can help you grow. If you're then realizing, okay, I'm a person who's struggling with depression or, or a person who's struggling with this particular issue and I want to get better at it. You can be able to find resources of people who have been through the same thing that you have been and learn from how they've been able to overcome it. You can even then access help as to how you can be able to overcome some of the challenges that you're experiencing. But all in all, I'd say that it's important for everyone to limit their social media usage, even for um, people who 
have to have a career on social media you you will post on your pages and you'll engage with your your customers your clients but you don't have to be on social media street for an hour you can have like 15 minute bursts you can have like 30 minute bursts where i'm going to be on my phone because i have to do this and be intentional when you go on the app and you say okay what am i coming here to do is it to look at people's stories when you look at their stories you look at is it to respond to DMs? When you respond to DMs, you go away. Is it because you want to watch somebody's video or share something? Once you do that, you go away. So you have to find times when you are not on social because it's so easy to just mindlessly scroll on social media and mm. the whole hour has gone by of your day. But if you're intentionally or consciously using it, you'll be able to identify what are the most productive times I'm on Instagram and then use this for or what are the times when I need to be on Instagram because I need to be productive and do mm. that. And once that time is gone, you just enjoy turning into pockets of enjoyment. Okay, let me just post this here or see this person's post and then leave it. So manage your use of social media and be intentional about what it is that you want to see because the things that you're seeing will eventually mm. feed your mind. If I constantly show you pictures of negative things are happening all over the world you're only going to think that negative ha- things are happening in the True. world if i show exactly. you the mix of different things you have a balanced view of life so you can use your mm. what you're looking at on the social media to help craft the mental space that you want to live in um in your world so yeah thank you so much amanda i have such a whole lot of knowledge that you have i mean shared today and i'm really, I'm really, really grateful Actually, I'm sure that the last part, this, this, this one on the impact of social media really have a huge impact on people because this is something that we, we face every day. Mm-hmm. And for the fact that you have addressed it, saying that we should be intentional about why you come online. Don't just come online and be strolling like, like someone that does not have direction or, or like a killer. You know, there's no direction. You're just scrolling for, for scrolling sake. So that mm-hmm. that, you know, in a way tries to, to, to protect our mental space, gives us a... A, a balanced kind of a mental space and then mm-hmm. what we see most times affects us as humans so there's there's a lot in there and i'm really grateful so before we call this a wrap we have, do you have any last words to say anything to say to the listeners the viewers on depression mental health and everything just a last word to say before we call this a wrap um don't underestimate the impact of your physical health on your mental health that is getting mm. enough sleep, rest, eating well, drinking water, and exercising. Even if all you do for exercise is strolling for one hour, do not underestimate that. And imbibe very, uh, really good daily practices like meditation, um, practicing mindfulness. That's being in the present moment because, especially for people who are anxious, um, when you find yourself worrying about the past or being anxious about the future. It's always good to ask yourself, okay, but what is going on right now in my life? Like in the present, ah. day, you can bring yourself back to reality. So, and then journaling as a way of learning how to express your emotions or communicate it is also very important. And that you should also not underestimate the importance of detailed, open, and honest communication with other people because it can help to resolve a lot mm. of issues and challenges in your life. So, yeah, those are the tips that I have. Thank you so much, Amanda. We appreciate this.